This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 53, Meditation 101. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Rebecca Urban. Rebecca, known in yoga circles as Bex, has led yoga and Pilates classes since 2000. As a child, Bex was introduced to many spiritual teachers and practices, igniting a thirst for spiritual insight and physical well-being that has inspired her all of her life. Her father introduced her to meditation at the age of four, and by six she was visiting the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. In 1993, Ram Das came to her family home to gather with a group of psychologists about a book he was writing, and at 12, she had the honor to meet the Dalai Lama. Since 2003, Bex has worked one-on-one with clients in her own private space and online at Urban Glow Studio, where she offers sessions in Pilates, yoga, Reiki, and intuitive healing. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. You like the podcast and want even more episodes? You can get access to exclusive content, episodes with me, tutorials, guided meditation, and so much more if you become a VIP member. Know that you can make a big difference for me, even with a small donation, to help me cover production costs and allow me to continue this podcast. So if you'd like to have access to more content, you'd like to support me, or you just want to make sure it continues, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a VIP member. As a thank you, you'll get access to new exclusive content every month. Okay, you ready? Let's get to our episodes of today with Bex Urban. Hi, Bex. Hi, Erica. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I am currently just cultivating a great relationship with the unknown. <laughs> like I'm everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Cabin fever much? I feel really fortunate because we're at the base of a beautiful hill that's not a national park. <laughs> So we can walk around mm. and I have a studio. And while I am managing a household of my three children and my husband, I do feel like I can have a little bit of a great escape and still be really present. Nice. So Bex, for listeners that don't know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your yoga journey? I know you have a special one. Sure. So I... um I'm born and raised in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is definitely a melting pot of academia and people in general. And my parents are from Brooklyn, New York, and I share that because they are academics. And my father found his way to meditation when I was really young and actually brought me to Insight Meditation Society around the age of four. Wow. And yeah, so I was exposed to a lot of That's the a trippy great- experience for four-year-old. <laughs> well, I actually think at four, now that I have three kids and I kind of watch a shift in perspective, four, I was an open vessel for listening mm. and for sort of getting steeped in the teachings, like not knowing at all, right? And yet being exposed to Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg. Um, My father was one of Jack Hornfield's first students as well. And when they weren't at Insight Meditation Society, somehow they'd end up at our house. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's a non-traditional way to grow up, but my parents were very nerdy 
And my father was really interested in the mind. Mm -hmm. And that's where I landed. So how was it you think to grow up in that context compared to, do you think it like influence or how did it influence? Because obviously it did, but how did it influence who you are today? You think it's a reason why you're a yoga teacher today or a meditation teacher? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I was also a three sport athlete and I'm the youngest of four. Mm -hmm. I have three older brothers and I'm going to be really truthful with you. I thought my parents were a little bit of outcasts, like my friends that were really social. Mm -hmm. I wanted my mom and dad to be in the in group that hung out and they were hanging out with physicists and doctors and they were engaging in these really curious conversations and I thought to myself at that age like why aren't you going out with all the movers and the shakers Mm so at that time I probably didn't appreciate it it wasn't until later and being exposed to so many teachers like Ram Dass spent his 51st birthday in our home wow um he was talking about a book on psychology that he had written. I remember it so vividly because he drove a really flashy MG and I just used to always come along. I remember kind of coming along. My dad always says, you would say, can I come to IMS with you? Can I meet the guy in the cave? Um, Oh, oh, and, and so it was like that sweetness, the teacher Manindraji who was, Joseph and Sharon's teacher, he had dinner at our house a couple of times and it was like sitting with such wisdom. It, it blows my mind when I look at photos. Mm-hmm. Did you feel back then that there was something special in these people or you were just like naturally energetically pulled or how would you describe that? I felt like I was drawn to it. Mm. Um, and the only thing I can say is the paradigm was I was not a ballerina, a gymnast. I was not flexible in the physical form. And so the idea of elegance and grace Mm -hmm. from movement, Mm -hmm. it wasn't my natural tendency. So, so much of the meditation practice, even that was like, I have a lot of energy. I am, you know, I, I wanted to go for a run when I was young. I, I didn't even drink coffee till I was 40. Like I just naturally had it. And so I felt like all those practices were like little touchstones Mm. along the way, laying the platform for the undercurrent that got revealed when I moved to San Francisco. Mm. So you started with meditation first and then a physical practice of asana came later? Yes, Mm. um, much later, in fact. Um, I was, I remember seeing a yogi on Ripley's, believe it or not, put his legs behind his head. And my dad had some of those books, but my dad wasn't like a physical, um, asana practice practitioner. Mm -hmm. He sat on his cushion and you could come in when he was sitting, but you didn't interrupt. Um, and so when I saw these people in these poses, I was fascinated And yet there was like a, "Mm, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandmother can barely touch her toes, you know, like that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And the real start for me was in 1994. I think 94, 95, I came across uh, Eric Schiffman's VHS 
with Ali <laughs> McGraw and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was drawn to like, I'm in a mobile home. It doesn't really matter how flexible I am. I feel great when I do this. Mm. So today, is it all yoga to you or is there a, an important difference between your physical practice and your meditative practice? Wow, that's a, to me, that's a deep well of a question. Yeah. Because it, it's layered, right? It's layered. And um, in, in 2001, I had the, the sweet experience for two years of teaching the young kids at uh, Catherine Del Mar Burke, and not to digress, but I used to start the practice with them drawing what mm -hmm. is yoga. And we would joke about an onion and its layers. And I feel like the seated practice to me, I guess the sweet spot is I began learning about the seated practice. And so I look to the moving practice and I know that it's not a result oriented practice. Mm. And yet, if it was, it would be to be comfortable in stillness. And also those deep messages that I really weave into the fabric of my class of cultivate a great relationship with change and you know the physical practice is working. Mm -hmm. And right now, that's where we are in that deep well of impermanence. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do we respond How are we receptive? How are we alert? Yeah. You know, what do we tend to? That really makes me think of something I heard you say um, at another moment. You said something like my yoga mat is always unrolling in front of me or something like that. And I find like this is exactly what you're saying right now. Like life is giving us, you know, something to see how our yoga practice can hold up in our life of every day. What do you think about that? Yeah. I can't remember when it happened. And I know you know this as a practitioner, you know, we're all in this conscious stream, right? And, and in that stream, if you, if you practice the practice, I wrote something, I don't know, like many years ago, nine, 10 years ago, and I just came across it again about how this, this source of what people offer in the yoga room, I had taught a practice We were doing Parigas in the gate pose. I hadn't taught it in a while. And then I was in New York City. And all of a sudden, the teacher was teaching a similar practice. And we hadn't communicated. Mm -hmm. And we had no like, hey, what are you doing this week? But it was in that conduit of, oh, this is what is being turned to. This is where the hand is going with it. And so one day I was sitting at the end of practice and we were closing it. And I just felt the words just roll off my tongue of, you might be rolling your mat up right now. It will be rolling out in front of you for the rest of the day. And how will you choose your words, your actions, your thoughts? Will they be in alignment with the precision and the skillful action of the moving practice? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people understand that in general or does it take time to put the words to what it actually means concretely in your life it takes a long time oh yeah yeah I feel like as westerners I feel like as westerners when people come to the mat there is a gymnastics there is a there is a 
I just want to get handstand. I just want to like, and I, I appreciate that. And then there's that deep breath and that reframing. What if I was just a better breather? Mm. What if I was just a little kinder to myself? And what if in the moments where I'm struggling, I would reroute as if it was me getting into pigeon or warrior two and where would my alignment fall? Mm. And I feel like that mind training and that growth mindset is something that it takes practice. You know, it really takes practice to be malleable with your words and your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I do. I really do feel like it's an amazing time because so many people are into yoga the physical practice and taking the seat and my wish. And I say this a lot too, is, is that I always begin the practice with a brief meditation. And my wish is that people crave it and they start to craft time for it. Mm -hmm. And that, that scrolling that we all do could be a time for us to go, I'm going to put it down for a moment I'm going to grab my mala if you have a mala bead and I'm going to go around my mala bead or I'm just going to close my eyes and just, may I be patient? (laughs) May I be patient? May I be less reactive? And, And there are moments where I feel like, oh yeah, I'm practicing my practice. And then there are moments where I feel like I'm getting an epic fail right now. And that's the truth, Yeah, you know? yeah. Totally. People need to hear that as well because we're so quick to make excuses that meditation is not for us or it's not working for us. And when we actually hear people that have practiced it for a long time that are still having days where they struggle, where you feel like you're sitting there and all you're thinking about is lunch or you just want to get off or your mind is racing or you're just uncomfortable in your body, it doesn't matter if you've done it five minutes or 15 years. There's still, you know, it's not like it's a switch one day and now you're like this, you know, meditator that's always quiet and peaceful and easy and you know it's not that simple two summers ago I went to spirit rock for 10 days Mm. and at first my husband his response was like oh 10 days okay you know that'll be a lot for the family and then as we were driving there and I was saying okay when I get out of the car I'm going to give you my phone and that means that I'm not going to talk to you or the kids for 10 days. And, and so you're going to figure everything out and I trust that it's going to be okay. And I'm going to be doing an inside job an inside excavation unpacking, or I'm just going to be sitting with it. And at that moment, I remember he looked at me and he's like, this is going to be really challenging, not just for me, but more so for you. Oh yeah. Right. And all of a sudden he was able to see and feel and notice, oh, she's got a longer 10 days than I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in those 10 days, just as you're saying, there were moments I felt steeped and really clear in the practice. And then the next sit, it would be like, what? What is Are happening? <laughs> yeah. Where did your concentration go? Where did your still point go? Why are you fixated on this? 
you know, and uh, I, I think in that day, that, that particular day, maybe it was day three, I don't remember, but I do remember that there was an offering to stand and it was so liberating, mm. right? Oh, I can just stand still. So now I can't make the excuse of my hips, my knees, my ankles. And we all do that. Okay, I don't have 10 minutes. Okay, I don't have five minutes. Yeah. And then our phone says, do you know how much time you wasted this week? You went four and hours like, on social media today <laughs> or this week, whatever. I yeah. know, I know it's wild. Let's talk about that. Um, I think particularly meditation is one of those things that generally we know is good for us, but yet we resist a little bit and we make those excuses, right? So can we play a little game? Like I give you an excuse and you tell me an answer to that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so the one that you started with, I don't have time. So every teacher in every lineage has said to every student, before the epoch of staring at the phone, right? Before the, whatever it was, they have said, there are times during the day that you are off on an adventure, right? You're physically seated, but your mind is in the past. It's replaying something or it's planning in the future. And why not, why not just train yourself for a moment to follow the trail of your breath? And see what, what, what comes up. What are you nourishing? And so what I would say to that is, if you don't have 10 minutes to sit still, you can be in a chair, you could be lying down. What's the quality of your life? Just bottom line, what's the quality of life and self-care? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody knows that whole, when the plane's going down, the oxygen mask goes on you first. Why does the plane have to be going down for the oxygen mask to go on you? Mm-hmm. Right? So if you we, do think you don't have time, maybe there's a need for you to reevaluate your priorities in life. Not that meditation needs to be a priority, but that you literally don't have five minutes to yourself in a day might be something concerning. Well, I think there's a misconnection Mm. and a point of confusion there. And the point of confusion is you do have the time. Mm. You do have two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. How committed are you to yourself? Yeah. Right. So it's making the choice. Yes. Mm. And, and we get, no matter what you believe, one life, multiple lives, multiple people, you get to only this time around be you. Mm. and this is the inquiry I would make. Okay, you don't have 10 minutes, fine. Two minutes, okay? Two minutes at the beginning of the day. You don't want to get out of bed for those two minutes. Put your hand on your belly, feel your breath, put a timer on for two minutes, and at the end of those two minutes, ask yourself, do I feel worse or better? Right? Yeah. That's super simple. I mean, this is the inquiry of movement, even. We must move because movement brings, it's like the soil, you know, and, and you have to kind of move the soil to get everything to come up. And I often, I, I love that no mud, no lotus, right? We're all trudging through something. Mm-hmm. Give yourself two minutes and see what happens. And then I guess... You'll probably want two more minutes. Yeah. 
And it may grow to nine minutes. It may grow to seven. It's your relationship also with quiet and silence. Mm. Why are we uncomfortable with that? Yeah. One excuse I've heard before is, well, I'm not spiritual or I'm not, you know, it's not for me. It's too woo-woo. But when you bring it like that, it's not about spirituality necessarily. It could be just about your relationship to quiet, to silence, to slowing down. That's very different. And that's for everybody. You don't have to have any spiritual affiliation at all. Here's the trick, maybe. You're someone who really likes to be in nature. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback on your excuse um, and say, I don't sit still. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone who can sit still. Yeah. And what I say is, um, I happen to be on Insight Timer. There are tons of great apps. Why I like that one is it's like having an invisible team. It says this many people are meditating. And to me, I feel like, oh my gosh, guess what? My team is all here. I don't know any of them or I know some of them. I'm going to listen to the bell and go for a walk. I'm going to walk only 10 steps and turn around and walk 10 steps back. I, I, I like to do this thing I, I call like the meditation tasting menu when, when I'm sort of presenting meditation to people who are really resistant. And we, we go the gamut. You know, you can chew on a raisin, you can stare at a flame, all of these very elementary and fundamental and yet really deep meditations and someone will find something that tastes right for them. Mm -hmm. You think that's a key to have a long-term practice is to find, to dabble or to explore and then choose one that is pleasurable in some way or easy in some way. What's the flavor we're looking for? So, you know, in yoga, we call our our essence, our rasa, our flavor. And we also have that beautiful, that beautiful stiram and sukham, sweetness and strength, supple and strong. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that that is what will anchor you in the practice. Now, some will say I do TM and I only do TM. You know, I only wear black. I only wear pink, mm-hmm. right? What, you know, what I'm saying, like, you find what works for you and you, you, you go there in your moment and you be with it. And then you may find it's, it's kind of like surfing and I'm not a great surfer, okay? But I've done it a couple of times. It's kind of like the wave is going to change. The undertow is going to pull you in a different way. And so if you can make yourself flexible in the mind and go, this week, I want to work with loving kindness. Mm. I want to work with a mantra of may I heal. And every time my mind wanders, I want to come back to may I heal. And it's not like specific ailments, right? And the may I is the invitation. And if you're someone who's like, "Mm, I don't want to be invited. I just want to go. I am healing. Mm -hmm. I am healing. What about someone that says it's boring? (laughs) Like I have more important stuff to do. I've heard that before. Yeah, it is. Great. So what's wrong with that? What's, What's wrong with being a little bit bored for a while? Why do we constantly have to be entertained? Right? What, what, what is it that makes us think that the hours that we're awake we have to be doing something. Mm. 
the reframe is instead of a to-do list today, what about a to-be list? Mm. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. You want to know why people who don't want to do it because it's boring? Because they're so on the Rolodex of what's next, what's next, what's next. They're not even in this moment. And I get it. Let me tell you something. I love to move. I would be lying if I didn't tell you that when I wake up in the morning, I get my kids' stuff ready and I either spin or I jog or I meditate or I do a couple sun salutations because I know I love the quiet. I want my quiet time and I resisted it for a really long time in life. Mm. I really did. So I get it being boring. And yet, what if being boring actually refueled you? Why is it that we resist something that makes us feel better or makes us happier? Like it's not only with meditation, but there's a lot of places in life where we do that kind of stuff in your opinion. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story really briefly. Okay. My father has a neurological condition. Uh-huh. He can't move his arms very well. But years ago, I said, you should take up Pilates, not just because I believe in it and I teach it, but because someone can help you. And he was going very regularly. And then he, he kind of got a little stuck in his, you know, way. Mm-hmm. And he's a great meditator and he's a great listener to Dharma talks. And he said, oh, you know, it's just, it's difficult. And I said, let me ask you something at the end of any moving practice. So he had someone come to home and do yoga dance with him. Do you feel tired? Do you feel grumpy? Are you upset that you took that time for yourself? And he's like, no, I feel amazing. I feel renewed. I, 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 I couldn't believe I did it. And I was like, hmm, isn't that interesting? So you know, you're going to feel better, but you just can't get there. Mm. So why? Because it's a shift of our mindset. Because it is a pause in the day and it is saying time to stop everything else and really deal. Mm. And sometimes when we start to move and we deal, we realize I'm really resentful. I'm really angry. And I haven't unpacked that. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine that we keep telling everybody doesn't sound fine. It sounds like I'm fine. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like an attitude version of I am fine. Yeah, handout deflection. And what I would say is when we tend to moving and we commit to moving, we know we feel better. And everyone around us knows. Mm-hmm. Whatever you did today, do it again. Yeah. It's just hard. It's just habits. It's just like, ah, oh, take a deep breath. Take three deep breaths. Do you think it's hard because we're breaking like the momentum of everything else that is happening in our life? Like to, it has kind of a power behind it and we're like stopping it and then trying to switch gears or move into a different direction. And we have everything kind of pushing behind us into the direction we were going. Exactly. And also in that moment, just like you're saying, Erica, of the momentum is this feeling that if I pause right now, That great idea that I was working with, it's not going to show up. And anybody who sits in meditation consistently knows that the first enticing thought when you start to have is the idea that you have to stop meditating because you need to write it down. Yeah. 
truth is that's where you sit longer. Mm -hmm. What would you say to people that like you were commenting that things are coming up, like they're uncomfortable. They don't want to face the resentment or whatever is coming up when they sit in meditation. And that's their excuse not really to sit because it creates more quote unquote discomfort mentally or emotionally. Well, I would say that's like the hamster wheel. Yeah. We're just running around in that circle and, and you can get off or you can keep running. And and when you keep running on the wheel and you're repeating that habit, you're not really inviting or guiding your way to expansion. And if you want to have a capacity, I heard Jack Kornfield say this and I love it. And it comes from the Buddhist tradition you want to expand the capacity for tolerance, Mm. right? And so if not for anything, it's for that. What if you sit for three minutes and you're uncomfortable? Okay, by my math, that's 180 seconds of your day. I think you can do it. I dare you. Mm. But would someone say, why? Why would I do it? Like, what's the point? It's not about your spirituality, okay? It's not about your religion. It's about practicing a moment to watch. Mm. It's not even, I would say, like contemplating. It's just like watch on the screen. How much are you ahead of yourself Mm. planning your day? On the screen, how much are you behind yourself? Gee, I wish I hadn't said that. You know, like, oh, that pains me. Because I will tell you that the three minutes that you tend to the quiet, you'll be more discerning. Mm. You might decide, I don't want to say that. You might start to say no to the things that you say yes to that lead to the, I'm fine. Right. Sorry, I have to meditate, but I'm not really sorry. I want to meditate. Mm -hmm. So do you think those three minutes of slight possible discomfort might give you, you know, less discomfort than the rest of your whole day? Like that's a nice little, you know, three minutes is not that long if it helps you through the rest of the 18 hours or 12 hours after that. Yes, I believe for sure that three minutes helps you. And I know for a fact that you can sit down, actually, if you're a schematic person, like you like a blueprint, you can account for every hour in your day, okay? And you can say, okay, I work eight hours. I get 45 minutes for lunch. I wake up at this time. There are going to be massive gaps of time that are not full, Mm -hmm. right? So... Okay, so your excuse right is not just that you're resistant to it, but you don't like to sit. Mm-hmm. Then you stand, right? A, a, great, um, a great place to begin is in the market when you're waiting in line. Don't pick up your phone. Mm. Just put your phone down. Don't start looking at everybody else's cart. Just stand there and breathe. Just stand there and honestly breathe. Yeah. And see, it, see if it uplifts your experience. Because I know for me, when I do that, when I just pause that moment, I'm like, okay, I get to meditate in the market today. (sighs) 
I know when I create more breathing room, the people around me feel the ripple, not because I'm more powerful or anyone is more powerful, just because the breath is such a sacred tool. Mm. And we do 17 to 20,000 breaths a day. And let us not take this for granted, right? And, And so count your breath for Pete's sake. If you can't sit still, count your breath. 180 breaths and you've done three minutes. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. One more excuse I've heard before is either something like I look weird or X would judge me or my partner doesn't do it or I know no one else that does it. Like I don't have that community or support around me or I'm afraid to be judged about it. What'd you say about that? Oh my gosh. I would say, guess what? You are being called to sit. You are being like, you are sitting in a swell of the universe, whatever you believe the divine, um, your life is being called to be still. And all of those around you who think it's hooey wooey, when they start to see you glow a little bit, they're going to go, what are you doing? What are you practicing? And if you really believe you can't do it still, take child's pose, lie on your back, use a wall, prop yourself, Mm -hmm. give yourself permission to be on a throne, right? And get your crown on right. Mm -hmm. Sit up straight, be regal, be receptive and be hooey wooey and be okay with it. When I did my teacher training for yoga in 2000, there were 10 people in it and everybody around me is like, what are you doing? You went from a dot-com job to this. And I was like, you know what I'm doing? Something that makes me happy. And I do honestly believe 10 days, three to five minutes, you will start to feel a shift and you will start to crave it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you want to look at what is your resistance to it? Resistance, excuse me. What is your resistance to it? Why are you hardening yourself when there's some beautiful form inside of you that that could create and co-create with something bigger. Mm -hmm. Guys, challenge. (laughs) 10 days, let us know how it goes. So I think one of the reasons why people either feel unsuccessful or they feel like it's not working for them is that they have different expectations than what reality is. And we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, how even after a long time, you have days where you struggle. So let's talk about what it actually looks like or what actually happens when we are meditating, quote unquote, because we've been talking about all sorts of options where you're not in the traditional seated, you know, meditation, but what can people expect or how, how can they know that they're doing okay? So something I, I always say, especially with beginning practitioners who are hyper judgmental and hyper critical. Mm -hmm. Okay. It starts a little like this for me. Let's begin by eavesdropping on your own mind. Mm, I like that. Let's begin by eavesdropping on your own mind. Whoa. Hold on. Wait, what? (laughs) Okay. You're in a cafe. You're having a nice, whatever you do, matcha, oat milk, you know, chai, double espresso. And you're sitting right next to yourself. And you're just listening. What's coming up? 
oh, whoa, I am being bombarded with what I have to do, how I look, what am I going to eat today? Okay, now let's be a little more discerning and let's just watch what comes up. And if I don't grasp it, if I don't grab it, if I don't attach it, right? The Buddha said there are hindrances, obstacles, and there are gateways, pathways. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is that thought necessary, true, kind? Okay. I'm going to let that one go. Mm -hmm. Next thought. Right. And then all of a sudden, all the thoughts that are going to appear, right? And the greatness in the practice is whatever will appear will disappear. This is true for ourselves too. So we have to kind of get over ourselves in a moment, right? And we're still eavesdropping on ourselves, and we may have a, a moment. I am awareness. I'm loving awareness, right? That's what Ramdas always said. I'm loving awareness. Whoa. Okay. I'm more than this form, or maybe I'm not. Or maybe I'm just thoughts. Or maybe I'm just feelings. Then the discernment is like the choice. And it's like the enticing thought. Do you have to bite into it? And the more you practice just being still and quiet. Oh, wait a second. That's a story I've been telling myself. It's not even true. I've believed that since I was seven. Mm -hmm. That is how it happens. There's a mind and there's a body, right? Joseph always says there's a body. And, and what we turn toward and what we tend to, the longer we sit, and I'm not saying you have to sit for an hour and your legs have to be crossed and your eyes have to be rolled up. I'm saying sit in a chair, go for a walk, find what works for you, and then start to slow it down. And when you slow it down, what you will see, it's sort of like pixels, you know what I mean? As opposed to a full picture, you start to sharpen and focus and go, whoa, I'm not even breathing. Mm -hmm. I'm moving so quickly and I'm in so much pain or I'm not in pain and I don't even want to look at it. And I think, I feel, I notice, and that's how my process is. Oh, I'm in my mind. Oh, can I get in my heart? Oh, can I be right here? We're valued for our mind, mm -hmm. right? It's a transactional kind of society. We're valued for our mind. So if you need to look at the stillness and the quiet as mind training. Mm -hmm. I like that. Right? That's what it is. It's mind training. You don't go and run a half marathon two days in. Right. Oh, I did six miles. I did seven. I'm going to hit that 13.1. You're very sore after. You're very resentful. You might not do it again. You're probably injured. <laughs> you start small, mm -hmm. attainable. And you know what? All those naysayer friends of yours, mm. you turn to them and you ask, hey, will you join me? This sounds so hooey wooey, but I'm being really critical of myself and I need support. Will you join me mm. at such and such time? That is so lovely. Minutes? That is such a good idea. Especially now. 
and you don't have to be together like we are together, like on video right now or on phone, just knowing that someone you know is doing it too and trying to just energetically feel like you're in this together. It's very sweet. Absolutely. You say, hey, let your phone put on an alarm. Let the alarm say cultivating goodness with Erica for three minutes. And then at the end, when your phone beeps, you send Erica, I cultivated goodness too. That's so nice. I kind of want to do this and find some friends. <laughs> do it. Be it, right? Yeah. How hard totally. is that? No, it's not hard at all. You mentioned something um, about obstacles and the path. So can we talk about if people have an idea of what the obstacles are, maybe it's like easier to put it in the box and be like, okay, that's normal. That's okay. You know, my whatever it is. So what are the main obstacles during meditation that make us feel like we're not doing it right? Like we should stop. Like this is not for us. Like, obviously. Okay. It, the inner dialogue. I'm bad at this. Yeah. The binary. I'm good at this. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Okay. It's not a result oriented practice. Say that again. It is not a result oriented practice. Just that is so hard for people. I mean, me included. It's so challenging. There's no place you're going except for arriving here. Yeah. Okay. So if we know I'm not going to forward think, we call it future tripping in my house, or I'm not going to loop, I should not have said to Erica, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be distinct stilled, steeped, marinated, whatever word works for you in this moment, okay? Mm. The greatest obstacle is to just stay through all of it. Okay, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. Great. Just stay for the three minutes that you're not good at it. And if that's what the troll in your mind looks like and you cannot put the inner critic down resting away from you for three minutes begin again tomorrow my friend and the next day because that inner critic is it serving you is it helpful is it harmful so I often really believe the bigger the obstacle the more the garden is blooming just beyond Mm. and the easier it is in the beginning the obstacle's coming for you, sweetie. It's coming. You know what I mean? So yeah. like three days of three minutes that were easy, that I actually was quiet and I was following my breath. So a great tip, actually, since you asked that, is to, to plug your ears mm-hmm. and to listen to your breath. Yeah. We had Richard Rosen on and he said, just put earplugs and lay on the floor and just listen to your breath. He's like, that's the best most basic pranayama practice. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. Yeah. That's a deep, deep old lineage, Ashtanga way, right? We plug the ears, we hear the breath and we, it's kind of mesmerizing. Totally. Wow. I have the ocean within me. Yes. You do have the ocean within me, within you. You're a tidal being. You're 72.8 roughly percent of water. You are moving when the moon is full and you are irritated and the water and the tides shift. 
Yes, it is affecting you, right? And, mm-hmm. and I love that, Rumi. Um, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. Mm-hmm. So it takes surfing. a second to even like try to comprehend more than intellectually what that means, you know? And it's so beautiful. Most of us don't want to feel. We just don't want to feel because it's difficult. Because our feelings, right? Rilke said, no feeling is final. No feeling is final. Right? And and feelings are part of the waves. And I think for many, uh, one of my friends, I can't even remember who, said that when they were little, their parent used to say, I hope you had a good day. And you just leave your feelings at the door when you come in. Mm. Something to that extent, right? And so all I'm saying is, imagine if that's what you were delivered when you were young. Mm. Like, come on in and be a good girl. And if you weren't, I don't really want to hear about it. Guess what your mind is saying? I'm not going to sit. Why would I do that? I got to feel. And then all this stuff comes up for me and I'm sweating and I am angry and resentful. Or I'm like, wow, there's a whole world that I am not experiencing. Yeah. Do you think people should seek the help of a teacher or is there plenty, is there enough resources out there for them to start on their own? Is there like, you know, a better, I don't want to say better. Is there a path that is more helpful for most people? I like to do the best I can to avoid the word should. Yeah, yeah. Right, because it it has a it has a sandpaper quality totally. to it. Totally. So here's what I say. Cause I, I, I sit with a lot of beginning meditators. And and what I always open with is I don't know that much. Even after all these years sitting, practicing, moving. What I know for sure is if I'm okay not knowing, I can practice this practice. Mm. So set up an area that you like to be still in or a path that you will like to walk. In my room, I have an altar with crystals and so do all my kids. And I want to be clear, I'm not like a hooey wooey, like boho. Um, I, I, I sprout my food. I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just want you to get a real picture of me mm-hmm. um, in terms of I have an altar because I know when I see those beautiful stones or those deities, there's an ancient wisdom that I feel like is, is being brought to me. I have my physical cushions and I have a wrap that I believe is steeped in all my goodness. And I wrap it around myself. I want to be honest. If I don't have that kind of a cloak, I imagine wrapping something. So since people are listening and you can't see my gestations, my arms moving because I'm very in my hands, I literally will think Harry Potter and I'm wrapping myself in something. And it could be my beautiful shawl. Whatever it is, it's cocooning me, okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe I have malas on, maybe I don't. Maybe I am in that what I call meditation station. Ultimately though, we are all in mobile homes. 
and wherever we land, as long as we take a couple deep breaths and in our mind's eye see a beautiful place that we are landing in. Maybe it's the sea that you love. Maybe it's the snow, the forest, right? Whatever it is that you like to land in, all you have to do is close your eyes, right? And you can feel it or you can breathe it or you can sense it. So yes, it can be a physical space. Your real question is, do you need a teacher? You have a teacher inside yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who does really well with reading the manual and the guidelines, sure, take a beginning course in a mindful-based practice. That being said, at no other time have we had access to all the great teachers, right? Dharma Seed, you can listen to all the yoga um, and meditation talks, not physical yoga, you know, the practice of sitting or walking or standing. Um, All of them, it's everywhere. Everywhere you turn, calm, insight timer, headspace, um, it's somewhere. And now guess what? You could just get on a call with your friends, FaceTime, eight of your friends, Zoom, eight of your friends. Who do you like to listen to? Do you want to guide this? And if you need a teacher, look online, find someone, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I know that sounds like I'm not really answering your question. But no, 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 no. I just wanted to touch on the subject because I've heard people say, well, I don't know how and I don't have a teacher near me. And I think this is just another point of resistance because there's so many things out there. But I also know that there's a tradition and a lineage and it's, there's an honor into that. So there's kind of, you know, a balance between, again, it's, What works for you? Do you want to have a teacher? Seek one. Do you want to do this with your friends by yourself? Use other resources. I think, you know, it's all for the better as long as you find what suits you. And I I would just add on with begin where you are. I am here, right? Those three words are potent. I am here. They're filled with so much. Sit and repeat those words as a mantra for yourself or inhale, exhale. Maybe three breaths in, you start to perseverate. Oh, I didn't do this, that, or that. You don't get to get up. Inhale, exhale. Something that I've really had the privilege of is um, teaching online and, and also even, um, the recordings on insight timer. Uh, what's amazing about that is there's no one on the receiving end when I'm doing that stuff Mm -hmm. or when I'm in that space. And it's so interesting because I've had so many classes that I've taught since I've been teaching since 2000 Um, and probably I was teaching when I was really little as well with my friends, but I, I, you cultivate a relationship with the unknown, even in that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, I feel, I noticed that that question that you asked me a couple moments ago about, oh, what if they say I can't, I'm this, I'm not good. Okay, great. If you believe all those things, they can be true for you. 
And yet, are you open to having a relationship with unknown uncertainty? What does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Change, impermanence. And if you can sit for three minutes with that, oh, there's a lot there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Unpack that, my friend. And I can tell you right now, it's not three minutes. It's not 10,000 hours. It is a lifetime. Yeah. That's great. Um, Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with today, what would that be? Give yourself, give yourself permission to believe that slowness is beauty that slowing down will yield a huge benefit and that you are enough. You're deserving. You're good enough. And whatever your practice looks like, seated, walking, reclined, that there are no bad meditators, that this practice has been around for so long so that it can serve up a refuge in yourself so that you can take some time to reclaim your goodness and to actually know you can't know everything there is to know about yourself. And that's amazing. And that is the reason to sit, to stand, to recline, to better yourself Right, John O'Donohue said, we have a sacred responsibility to uplift and elevate all those around us. Mm. Right. And so what a what a great blessing that you could just be quiet and just be still with yourself, even if it's extremely uncomfortable, because there is something to unpack or to exfoliate to get to tend to in that that's 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 why I sit and even on my best days when I sit or my worst days when it happens and I feel like oh I've kind of let myself down because I'm doing it this way I have to reframe it and go you're doing the best that you can and that's what's important beautiful I'll put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you if they want to say hello, they'd like to study with you, or they have more questions about what we discussed today? The best way to find me, I'm going to out myself. I'm not great on social media. I'm working on it. Um, I'm a work in progress. On Instagram, I'm at Bex, B-E-X-U-R-B as in boy, A-N, Bex Urban. And that's my website too, bexurban.com or bexyoga.com. You can find me. Both of those will get you to me. Uh, right now, because of our current situation, outer climate on high alert, just this is when we need our practice so we can have an inner ecosystem that is calm. I'm teaching a lot of online practices and I'm live streaming a lot. And if you reach out to me, I will send you a class that you can check out and see if it resonates. And hopefully I'll do some online guided meditation. So I definitely answer emails and I would be happy to make 
any suggestion that gets you on the way. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. That was a great episode today. Thank you. And and I really applaud you for bringing more awareness and an attentive quality to not just living mindfully, but living gracefully and acknowledging that it takes a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't pay in a transaction with money. It pays inside with a real abundance. And, And you're doing a great job spreading the word about all the different methodologies and techniques and ways to be a better human. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen so you can help other people find it. And if you want it to continue, you want to support me, don't forget, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat so you can donate or become a VIP member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. Now check out the show notes for more info about our guests of today, Bex Urban, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Now, before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creates the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. Until next time.